Welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast, where we bring the best founders and investors to help you scale a business from 1 million to 1 trillion. Today's guest is Matthias, the founder and CEO of Rencor. Matthias, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Mike. It is a pleasure, and you have a, a quite amazing uh, career. And just to create some suspense, I would say that you are uh, an MVP, not a minimum viable product, but a most <laughs> valuable player, maybe also a GOAT. Let's see. But before I introduce you even better, <laughs> I would I would love you to, to give us a, a brief background about you and how did you end uh, up starting up Rencore? Sure, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, so Matthias or short Matt Einig, I'm from Munich, Bavaria in Germany. So um, from Europe, other, other side of the pond. Um, okay. Studied computer science, um, started in consulting, typical career path, I guess, found a, a technical problem that I wanted to solve, um, had a found a co-founder with whom I founded a small company um, at the time, still Rancor at the time, um, mm-hmm. uh, in Sweden at, at the beginning, where we built a code analysis tool, a static code analysis tool for Microsoft SharePoint, so a very niche area. And um, yeah, initially built that product for our own uh, purpose we we implemented product uh, projects with uh, for our customers and kind of identified that um, there was a problem to uh, keep the quality in check and keep security and performance in check so we decided okay let's let's build something ourselves as uh, computer guys usually do right okay we can fix it ourselves and solve it ourselves and mm-hmm. um, yeah sooner or later people came and wanted to buy this so then we came into this uh, startup world rather unexpectedly, I would say, not the typical founding story um, where you say, hey, we have this crazy idea and we are yeah. we are going to start a startup and go big to the moon and whatever, <laughs> however people are calling it. <laughs> but definitely, that, that's the best way. It comes inbound. It comes people uh, valuing what you are doing and asking for more. And uh, then you are obliged to start a business. So what a best way. I would, I would say that every founder would love also to go that route instead of trying to reinvent the wheel. <laughs> Well, um, if you well, it also comes with the downsides, I would say, because if you don't really have this planned approach that we are going to build a company, um, then you make a lot of mistakes, obviously, um, along the way. So we did our fair share of mistakes and learned from them. And yeah, we're still here and uh, kicking, alive and kicking and do, uh, yeah, actually grow quite well in a total different area now. But um, uh, yeah, we learned our fair share, I guess. Super curious. And your co-founder comes from the same background, was doing uh, what you were doing as well, also from a computer science. Yeah, my co-founder, my co-founder also studied computer science, also came from IT consulting. So basically same history. He was actually my boss. So um, we switched roles later on. Now he's Um, the the founder and CTO. You are the founder and CEO. (laughs) Yeah, but... um, that was kind of natural because, well, I had a more economics background anyway before. And um, yeah, I like to play with numbers. I'm, well, I like to be on podcasts, be more the front man. And he's more mm-hmm. the typical techie 
who likes to build code and build cool stuff and in the background and doesn't have to talk to too many people while doing that. <laughs> and we have something in common here. So the year that you started Rencore, I started Scale Up Valley. So exactly mm. the same year I started in January, you started in, in June. So it has been almost, uh, in June, we'll be celebrating uh, 10 years uh, mm -hmm. of, of the company. And I would say that you have kind of two stages of the company as you were introducing uh, kind of first one where you were first product, uh, small scale, and then your ambition grew. And last year, just to kind of go to the last point of, of the journey, uh, you raised in, in May a 3.8 million uh, A round with Capnamic Ventures, just for the ones who are listening, episodes seven, uh, 76 in August of 2019, I've hosted Olaf Yakov. So it shows that I'm, I'm really, really okay. old. <laughs> so it was almost four years ago that I have Olaf uh, here on, on the show. But anyway, uh, it has been mm -hmm. 10 years of Rencore. Uh, last year, you raised Series A. I assume that soon and you will be going for, for the next stage with, with the B round. But tell us a bit of, of the journey on, on the two main chapters of this last mm. decade with Rencore. So, sure, yeah. Yeah, so as I already mentioned, we didn't really have a plan when we started the company originally. We didn't have the plan to go big. It was eventually, at the beginning, was more like, hey, this is a side gig. We can make a little bit more money uh, next to our day jobs. Um, yeah, that turned out to uh, change quite quickly. And um, it was a very quickly a full-time job. And yeah, we didn't really intend at the time also to raise money. So the first four years, we bootstrapped the company and grew our revenue steadily, were profitable, all was great, and so on. Um, then we raised a, uh, a smaller seed round and um, 2016, got right. yeah, 2016 and uh, from some angel investors and uh, which which got us much further. But eventually um, the market changed and the product that we have built, which was yeah extremely niche, um, really a very narrow uh, use case. Um, a valid one still is um, for customers, so we're still selling the product. But um, eventually, with the shift from on-premises Microsoft SharePoint to the cloud, Microsoft 365 nowadays, um, also the way to develop on top of the Microsoft services has changed to more commodity development. So it's more like standard web development techniques. Uh, in, in the old days, um, you had to be a SharePoint developer and you had to know your stuff and that specific technology and was very, yeah, not very well documented, rather complicated. Mm -hmm. A lot of things could go bad and this uh, required or made, made a tool like ours uh, very necessary and valuable. But with um, the more standard web development techniques that are now used in the Microsoft Cloud, um, this becomes less and less of a problem because total different kind of developers are now building on top of the Microsoft Cloud. As, and basically, it's nothing special anymore. It's like any other cloud service that you have an API, a REST API, you build something, you authenticate, you get your data, you do something with it, and so on. So it's by far less complex than it used to be. And that also meant eventually that this product didn't have, um, yeah, that massive growth 
potential in the future, which obviously was what we decided we want to have. So we we went out and asked our customers eventually. Um, so now that you're in the cloud, what are your challenges? Where does it pain you most at the moment? And um, yeah, a lot of customers told us what their challenges are. And um, we identified um, a lot of use cases eventually that led us to a topic that is now our new product called Rancor Governance. So governance, right. very broad topic, I guess. Everybody has, understands something different uh, uh, on right. governance. Um, and But yeah, the, the challenges or use cases that we discovered, um, we realized, okay, they fit very well under the governance umbrella. So we use and still do also uh, the, mm -hmm. the old product to fund the development of the new product, which is uh, quite a positive approach in building a new product, I would right. say, compared to getting venture funding right, right away. So we could build the product, validate the product, go to market with the product and so on before we raised money and uh, had the existing revenue from our legacy business, uh, if you want, um, to cross-finance that go-to-market approach. And that is, of course, right. easier than... Quite amazing your, way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, not that it was planned that way. It just happened to go that way. And um, uh, yeah, and now we are we are in the governance business and yeah. uh, consider ourselves a market leader there, in particular at the moment in the Microsoft 365 space and uh, offer a SaaS solution where customers can connect their Microsoft tenant, where we create an inventory of all the services within the Microsoft Cloud uh, or Microsoft 365 Cloud and um, help them to implement policies, automations on top of those policies, reports, dashboard, provisioning, access review, and, and, and a, a bunch of topics that you're probably only interested when you're in that space, but <laughs> um, you get the picture. Absolutely. And your current ICP is much more than enterprise motion. I saw that you have clients as Shell, Chrysler, Pfizer, Boeing, Barclays, Lufthansa, EY, United Nations. Uh, so big enterprise or also mid-market? Yeah. So, well, we wouldn't say no to mid-market, obviously, but um, <laughs> yeah, the, 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 the challenges and the pains um, are definitely increasing the larger the organization gets because right. um, you have to imagine when you're managing cloud services like Microsoft 365, or if you're in the Google space, it's basically similar. If you're managing a large organization on Google, um, then yeah, you have to deal with these constant changes that are happening there constantly. Um, people come and go, enter the organization, go and leave, leave the company, getting lay laid off uh, nowadays right. quite a lot. Um, and yeah, also within the organization, there's constantly change like uh, reorganization, carve outs, mergers, um, mm -hmm. and so on. And that brings a lot of challenges with it um, because these people who are working in these companies are collaborating on documents in collaboration spaces like SharePoint or Teams or Slack or Google yeah. and um, give access to files, to data uh, and so on. And somehow this needs to be maintained and this, the life cycle of the data and all these resources around it that 
keep that data somehow need to be managed throughout that life cycle and usually somebody who's getting laid off doesn't really care what happens to the data um that right. he owned so right. um getting this kind of um information out from an it service management perspective and also maintaining it in a in a standardized and automated matter um a manner without yeah, having to look into reports, uh, looking one line by line. Okay, what's going on there? Okay, let's move this left, this right, this that bucket. Um, nobody has the time for that. So you want to yeah scale that either with the help of your organization by uh, delegating it to your end users or by scaling it with an automate, uh, automated approach where you based on metadata, for example, make decisions and do something with that, those resources. And this Got is it. where we come in with our solution. Got it. Hope that makes sense. Uh, absolutely. And I assume uh, there was a big adjustment in terms of mindset from product one to product two or going from a bootstrapped fashion to a more VC capital oriented uh, growth. What sparked uh, that adjustment or change of mindset? Was it really the opportunity, the feedback that you were getting from the customers, uh, personal ambition of the founders? Uh, what really sparked that 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 inflection point of of going in a more ambitious uh, path? Because you said that the beginning was very accidental and very natural, spontaneous. Uh, moving one step after another, right? And 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 first starting as a gig, then starting to pay yourselves, which was great. I assume some freedom, <laughs> and and then wow, this might be something big, and we need to adjust in 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 the new direction. Yeah. So, in general, yeah. Well, I would say while eating, you get the, uh, you gain the appetite, right? Um, so there was definitely uh, 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 the hunger for more. Um, so we want to grow bigger and yeah. we see a lot of value that we are creating and um, a, a lot of know-how and we have a great team. We have a very strong team also with a strong bond. The, um, the size of the sorry? team, Matthias, now? Uh, at the moment, we are, I think, roughly 35 people plus uh, another 25 people externally that are also with us for many years already. So um, quite quite a strong, strong team and um, yeah, quite a strong bond also. And we saw a lot of opportunity ahead of us and it would be kind of a shame to waste that opportunity. We have a... a, as a brand from our history with our historic product also a very uh, good standing uh, in the industry from while well, we provided a quality assurance tool and security tool um, that kind of brings uh, yeah gives also confidence and would be also a waste to throw away that brand um, with uh, yeah the experience that we made and yeah also we made a lot of mistakes with the old product and our approach and we wanted to yeah redo things and learn from those mistakes so i think that was certainly also a part so for example our legacy product was not a SaaS. it was it. initially not a subscription product it was a, a byproduct where you where you buy the product and then you own the license and um it was it didn't have maybe the stickiness that you would expect from a product nowadays. So mm-hmm. it, um, to explain it a little bit, it's, there is 
for for an, a user, it doesn't really hurt the user if the user stops using it and three months later, con uh, so basically stops buy, uh, uh, paying for it. And three months right. later, he decides I need it again. He buys it again, and then he has nothing lost in between. And um, right. so you're lacking the stickiness that you keep somebody. And uh, mm -hmm. while these are all core principles that uh, many SaaS products now follow, um, right. you probably have heard that many times. And we wanted to um, use that also and use those learnings also to build a cool, super easy to use, super easy to onboard software that gives you a lot of flexible options with very little um, technical background, um, great stickiness, um, get, create also the potential to deliver more value within the same product and so on, giving your upsell potential, of course, also expansion revenue. Um, so right. all these things are um, learnings that we, yeah, that we eventually, um, yeah, used in order to define, okay, how would a new product of Rancor look like and how would it work and how go we, do we go to market with it? Right. Something super interested more on the go-to-market angle uh, that you did super well was really to position yourself as a thought leader, being organizer of, of events, both in Stockholm, Munich, also the European Collaboration Summit that you also led for, from 2017 to 2020. So it seems that at the time that you started the company, you started organizing also a lot of events around the SharePoint community. Um, so in positioning yourself and the company as, as thought leaders in, in that space, I assume, and I'm seeing this again and again and again, uh, when we are able to become thought leaders and create a category and, uh, and we are able also to attract leads inbound, uh, it, it is much easier to start creating credibility and then scale up the business via adding outbound partners. And, and the second component that I think is really, really important here is really the power of the ecosystem, right? So you are mm -hmm. developing a product within a very powerful ecosystem. When you are the leader in that ecosystem, you have a lot of companies within that ecosystem uh, that can see you uh, as a Microsoft partner and which, again, will create a lot of advantages in terms of network effects to, um, to scale up um, mm -hmm. your business. I'm seeing that, for instance, with learning uh, with a learning management system, LMS 365 in, in and, and and Copenhagen and, and across the world also in, in Dach. I'm seeing always and in, in other uh, scale-ups the power of the ecosystem. So twofold questions, right? So what are some of your go-to-market uh, lessons? How events and your thought leadership helped you to position Rencore and the company to provide inbound? And the second way, the power of the ecosystem also as a channel to, to scale up, mm -hmm. right? So I have to admit the whole events organization was not as strate strategic as it sounds <laughs> or looks. <laughs> but I, I love um, your vulnerability. Sometimes <laughs> we, we, we like to sound intelligent. Yes, we are was yeah, super yeah. visionary. Well, I started that thinking about the long term. <laughs> I, 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 uh, I'm a friend of uh, saying as it is. <laughs> so things as, it, as they Thank are. Thank you for that. Um, yeah. Now, um, so the whole organizing events actually so industry events basically community events at the beginning that stemmed more from a personal desire that i like doing that so in my in my previous life before i studied computer science i uh, was uh, learning uh, 
hotel management assistant and what, uh, or a hotel management uh, apprenticeship. I don't know if you have something like that. In, in Germany, we have that. So before I studied, I did a couple of years apprenticeship in a, in a, in a hotel and was doing event uh, uh -huh. organization. And um, that kind of was a lot of fun. And I thought, hey, I can combine that, that experience with the technology and the, in particular, the Microsoft and Microsoft SharePoint ecosystem has yeah, a, a very strong community, a technical community. And right. a, a lot of um, people who are very active and travel on their own time for their own money to conferences and speak there free of charge and um, just spread the word about technology and uh, just like doing that. And I was or still am one of those uh, guys. So uh, there were, were times where I was, I don't know, at 30, 40 events per year where I spoke and held sessions wow. and um, knew, of course, also a lot of the organizer of those, the organizers of those events. And then I at some point thought, hey, why not? I can do that as well. Um, so I uh, started an event in Stockholm, which grew to yeah, 300, 350 people uh, at wow. least per year. Then when I moved back from Sweden to Germany, I did the same in Munich. So I ran a second event uh, in, uh, in Munich, also around three to 400 people per year. Um, and they, these were all community events, so free of charge, only um, charged by sponsors. And of course, I used it also to position Rancor as a brand uh, and right. myself, of course, also. And as it usually is, well, you are very visible and very present in an industry. This kind of visibility rubs up, off also on your, on your company and you can leverage that in your go-to-market. Um, and then uh, I joined also um, yeah, the organizational committee of... Um, of the European Collaboration, Collaboration Summit, and I helped organizing. So I did that not on my own anymore, alone. Um, I helped that uh, to organize that for two years, and that was like uh, more than two thousand attendees. Um, but admittedly, organizing a conference with two thousand attendees—that is nothing you can do for a long time on the side. And I had to make the choice at some point. Okay, I can no longer do that, and need to focus on my company. Right. Long story short. Um, it happened by accident and maybe out of passion, but it was very beneficial for um, the company to position ourselves and position the brand. And um, I see that also with other companies who are actively organizing industry events from their uh, company with their company mm -hmm. brand on it. Um, building basically a community around their own company. And it can start small. It can start with 20 or 50 people, um, maybe a round table or whatever with a bunch of customers or a bunch right. of cons consultants. Um, but from that, there on, you can build this kind of, yeah, own community around your specific purpose or topic that you are delivering your value. And um, in my opinion, that's a very valid approach, but... It's a very long game, I would say. Um, right. And, and yeah, for us, it happened to be successful because uh, we are already around for quite a while and didn't yeah. do that with the intention to right. go to market eight years later with a new product. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, and, and that's important. We always discuss the importance of starting with uh, content marketing, position yourself, uh, of course, also trying to use 
paid marketing, but very careful uh, to ensure that we are not buying traffic, that then it will be, become difficult. And another layer of it is really creating a community, not only mm -hmm. leads, but really creating people that are passionate about the topic, that, uh, that contributes to, to a certain category, that, that builds a, a community that then will be much more loyal and also generate a lot of credibility and, and value to, to that community. Uh, did, did those events help it from an inbound perspective or your motion has been more outbound? So if you would say about the different channels of your go-to-market motion, uh, what is working um, better for you or, or is it the power of the, of the channel as we were discussing before? Um, I, I would say so the events themselves helped certainly with visibility, but I think it was a combination of those events alone, but also the amount of events that we attended. So there were times where we were exhibiting basically at tens of events okay. per quarter. Um, and yeah, if you're visible in the industry in a lot of places very consistently, then um, yeah, people will remember you, you know. Um, repetition helps always right. and then uh, when people come across the problem then they will uh, eventually remember you and come back to you and it might not be at that specific moment that uh, they have a need for the solution that you're offering but well when you're in the back of their head then um, they might come in and in, in fact um, I would say the majority of our leads are indeed inbound so um, it's People are looking for a solution. And well, you mentioned before content marketing. We have been also investing a lot in content um, over the years. I've been, I'm still writing white papers and uh, blog posts and uh, yeah, technical topics, but also others. We also get um, okay. thought leaders of the industry uh, to uh, write content for our blog. And again, it's the consistency over uh, many years in that case that then... Yeah establishes your brand as a thought leader as well for this specific topic and people mm -hmm. come to your blog and uh, download a white paper or um, maybe at some point try out the product. I don't want to go too, too tactical and too technical and even operational mm -hmm. and um, but I think I think this is important right so sometimes we make the mistake of uh, hiring a content marketing manager and asking that content uh, marketing manager or specialist to to write the content and they are not experts in in that field so we still need to be very involved in in curating and writing that that content or inviting experts to write that content and at the same time, we know how difficult it is to, to be the CEO of a VC backup company with uh, all the, the stakeholders that we need to take care of and still think about the long term and, and, and keep everyone focused. So also finding time to write and to create new content as experts uh, is not an easy challenge. And, and, and we also think in a certain way that uh, I like always to, to do this analogy we can't be the cook in the restaurant because if we are the cook in the restaurant, mm -hmm. we'll become the bottleneck of, of growth of the restaurant. So sometimes it is, sometimes I, I would prefer even with Scallop Valley to not know too much about the, the cooking side because then I would be only focused on the restaurant uh, management or the or the chain of restaurants <laughs> and find people to to do the delivery by by myself. How do you balance this as, as the CEO? Because you are an expert, a thought leader, but at the same time you need to lead the business, uh, and it's difficult to to balance all of this, right? 
Yeah, if I knew the answer, I would give it to you. But um, it's, <laughs> that's it's, what I was. Uh, <laughs> I was expecting that <laughs> to see if I can get out of the kitchen. <laughs> it's always a challenge, of course. And I think one of the biggest challenges that I see for myself personally is when you build a company, and I, I guess everybody can relate who has built up a company. When you build up a company, you have had probably every single role in the organization once. So you have been doing marketing, you have been doing product development, maybe product design, you have been doing, I don't know, finance, you have been doing everything eventually in your organization. And yeah, getting to a level where you can just hand that over, delegate it to somebody else and let it be with that and don't intervene is really, really hard. And um I have to admit that I'm still struggling sometimes uh, at these things and not necessarily because I don't trust the people, but because I'm interested in all these topics and I have Are opinions, of course. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I'm passionate about it. I, I, I want to get our product better and I want to uh, deliver the best value uh, in, in our marketing and I want us to be perfect here and perfect there. So uh, and that perfectionism is sometimes maybe... Uh, uh, yeah, preventing progress. So um, I, I'm starting to learn, I have to say, uh, well, I'm now 10 years running my company. So it has been a long time for me to learn that but I'm starting uh, to learn to embrace the phrase done is better than perfect. Right. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's, it's tough, I have to say, but um, getting there getting there uh, step by step and it helps to have a good team that I trust and that I can Absolutely. hand things over. So um, I think one of the big advantages, advantages that I have is that many of my team members I've been working already for a long time together with them and um, that makes makes it easier and they and they know how to take me so um and tell me okay get out of get off my lawn. <laughs> Sounds great. And uh, let's let's move to the fundraising uh, topic. We kind of approached it. So in August of 2016, you raised the 800k rounds. In January of 2018, the 1.5 million, and last year in May uh, 22, the 3.8 uh, million. Any lessons learned that you would like to highlight uh, in terms of? going through the different rounds and and if you want to focus more in the last one the the a rounds maybe it is it is easy to not make a such a uh, open question <laughs> yeah i think uh, lessons learned for me at that stage right now is I, when we started raising our seed rounds frankly i didn't have much of a clue um and especially no real understanding for what reasons certain types of investors invest into a company and what okay. what they are looking for what is their what is their end game what makes it for them how their business really works. yeah how their business works so an angel investor eventually is just betting it's yeah. just gambling okay sounds cool um uh, could could lead to something um they have their diversified investment strategy, do a little bit of property here, a little bit of uh, shareholdings there and a little bit of venture there. So more or less like it's it's a little bit of gambling and they usually invest when they think 
and from their experience, they can add value. And we were lucky with our angel investors. They brought uh, especially value in regards of financial knowledge to us because um, our angel investors um, come out of the finance industry mm -hmm. and um, they brought helped us to build a proper business model and business plan and how to manage our numbers and so on so that was definitely helping us to lead to a later round eventually um, and from a VC perspective well they they have a different perspective where they want to go what they want to do and then they have a clear exit scenario that makes it for them a profitable investment if it pans out or not and that also depends on if you're looking at a series a investor or a seed investor or a right. series b investor they have total different perspectives on how big this is going to be and what potential must be in there and i think learning that I'm still learning um, that uh, helped me a lot also to approach the strategy of our business in a different way is uh, also planning. Okay. Where do we want to go? Um, I don't want to be an, a provider in a niche again, like we did initially. So okay. eventually we want to be broader and uh, give more potential also for a, uh, for a VC investor to see an exit scenario, which is obviously always the, the goal for a VC at the right. end, otherwise they wouldn't invest. So um, yeah, I think if I would go back five years, I would probably spend a little bit more time and just researching what investment mm -hmm. actually means and yeah. worrying less about what it means for me personally. Um, right. So I think this is, this is also one of the biggest challenges that many founders have to um, make that, that jump um to let go i'm no longer owning everything myself and ask some third party who can uh yeah. yeah say something that we should do this or that way um but i think that fear was probably not the problem but rather that i didn't know exactly where we want to go at the time long yeah. a couple of years ago yeah and and again it's it's learning so many things at the same time right so it's it's you know, True. while busy uh leading the company and ensuring that the company keeps moving uh forward and, and providing a good service to to the customers so it's completely uh understandable and uh and i would say that then going from zero to one is a search exercise and it, it takes a huge effort and uh and in your case now that you have raised the, the series a it has been uh a long journey, a successful uh, journey, but now starts another game, right? So, which is how to get from the one to ten million uh, ARR, mm -hmm. and and later, what are our plans or our hypotheses to to go from the ten million to the hundred million um, stage, right? So, uh, how do you feel about about it? Of having a little bit of a, an extra after all those those years. Uh, still looking to the future and feeling an extra pressure of needing to double, triple revenues to the one to ten and the ten to one hundred uh, million in in ARR. Hmm. So I'm not laying out my plans here, but um, <laughs> I I don't know. I don't don't see it necessarily as a pressure. I see it. Well, I want this, so I yes. I, I have Love for it. myself. Yeah. Uh, the ambition that we get there and I'm looking and trying to find out and learn 
which ways can I get there? And so I'm I'm looking also at other businesses. I'm using uh, the advice of the investors who have helped other companies to reach that. And I'm learning. If I think, just think back the last ten months since we raised that Series A round, um, I have learned so incredibly much that I think like, okay. This is not is not getting boring for a while. Um, and, <laughs> yeah, it's for uh, sure. <laughs> and, and, and I think this is kind of the mindset that you also have to approach. So, no, nobody knows everything, and nobody has their ultimate plan how to do that. It's always very specific to your business, to your market, to how you approach that market, to your experience, to. Um, yeah, your team that you have in a background and um, there is not a single way, but you can learn a lot from how others did it and try to adapt your own way to things that you believe at the moment might work and oh, well, time will tell if it works, but um, I'm uh, a while back, a couple of years back, we started to embrace this experimentation approach like um, where you build basically you have a hypothesis um you describe it you describe okay what would validate my hypothesis um in form of kpis or how can you measure the validation yes. and then you make a, a small project maybe uh, one month to validate that and then you look at the results and you use that again to iterate further and either it doesn't really matter if you uh, validated or invalidated in either way you have learned something to iterate further and i think this approach and this mindset is really really helping in any any areas of the business that mm-hmm. you are not that you're not having an idea and sticking to it no matter what and thinking oh uh, yeah i right. i i want this to happen and that's why i'm going to do that no matter what's happening um, I think this was maybe the um, Matt ten years ago approach, um, but uh, mm-hmm. now, now I, I see. You know, we also try to tr- promote that uh, in our uh, in our company for everyone. Mm-hmm. That well, failure is not a problem. If you fail, you just learn something that we can do better. And well, it's it's so yeah. Well. It's, the, the standard term fail fast yeah fail often right yeah, yeah. but it's kind of true um, it gives you the ability to to quickly adapt yeah. um sometimes on the other hand of course you have to stick longer to it um so some things are just not panning out so quickly mm-hmm. if you have a, a new marketing strategy or so on you might not see the results within a month yeah, exactly. um so like I, I we are implementing a content market uh, content marketing strategy and then you don't see after your <laughs> after one month you don't see your visitors rise let's uh, stop the uh, initiative then, okay let's stop right away well some things just take time and then you have right. to be aware of that but um yeah there are many places where you can use this kind of experimentation approach and that helps you a lot to quicker move forward and um, make better decisions eventually right Makes makes a lot of sense, uh, and uh, and definitely, I think that the, the difficult part there is is really to understand if we should persist or or we sh- we should change direction and change gears, 
and stay detached. Uh, again, uh, passion is amazing, but then passion sometimes can blind us because we are so mm -hmm. attached to, to that passion. That's why it's called uh, passion, right? That that we are not able to think rationally uh, about, about it. And combining both, because also if we only think in a rational way, there is no passion and there is no why to keep persevering in the in a certain direction. So combining both is really complex. I know that you love, of course, this category of uh, cloud collaboration uh, governance, and that's what you are doing with uh, with Rencor. I appreciated what you said. I'm I'm from your school. I like to pick a niche and to stay focused, and I, investors also like that. But sometimes we need to start opening new segments and and going mm -hmm. for a, a total addressable market, and hopefully that niche. Is a, is a niche that is growing and it will become a very large uh, market and we are the the leader in, in that niche. So any thoughts about the future? How, how, you, how do you see uh, this category? And, uh, and I assume you are part of building, you have been a part of building that, that category as well, right? Yes, of course. Yeah, I think uh, an important part to understand, so starting in a niche or staying focused is good, but you have a big enough vision at the end because um, if you are, if you don't have a plan how to uh, broaden and get out of that niche, in our yeah. case, well, the niche is quite quite big um, because it's Microsoft Microsoft three sixty five is big enough in its own. Yes. But um, we consciously decided when we started, yeah, strategizing about where we want to go and how we want to go that. Microsoft, in our case, is just the start and not the end. So the product was built from the start to be technology agnostic at the end. Okay. And that makes gives us way more opportunity in the future to get broader. And that's part of the plan to get broader and get out of uh, that dependency maybe of, of a single vendors. An ecosystem like Microsoft is, is great because it's, um, yeah, you, you you know people you know the industry you have other services company that are attached to it and you can somehow rely on them and build on top of existing services that are successful um but from a vc perspective if we go back um mm -hmm. that might be make it harder to find a potential exit partner in the future um so um having from the start a broader plan and understanding much yeah, the, the 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 more the category and less the technology we're at um, mm -hmm. as the goal um, makes basically your vision and your approach towards implementing the product and going to market, in my opinion, totally different, and um, helps it also yet yeah, see the potential much easier. You're not limiting yourself in and where this gonna what what's the, what this gonna be in the future, and I think right. this is important when you start as a founder but you still need to focus of course when you when you start off you cannot be everywhere at the same time right um this is more much more how do you build your narrative uh, and then how you execute and i think that we always make this confusion right having a very big vision and being able to to walk the team and walk the stakeholders the customers and the investors from mm -hmm. the future to the present it doesn't mean that you will be executing today what you want to be in in five or ten years mm -hmm. uh, you will stay st you will stay focused on the current ecosystem 
but you you have the vision that you'll be uh, ecosystem agnostic or you'll be serving uh, multiple ecosystems. So it's all about storytelling and, and the way we build a narrative. Yeah, yeah and you also need to and keep the yourself the, the options. You need yeah. to keep yourself the options open eventually. Um, well, how it turns out at the end, you never know because, well, whatever you plan, it's never a straight line, right? Uh, the, yeah. the, the goalposts are constantly moving and, um, yeah, time will tell. But if you approach this with the, with the mindset that this can be much broader, then you make your decisions maybe also differently and help you to not limit yourself further down the road if the right. opportunity arises that you go broader at the end exactly makes makes a lot of sense it's always good to to have options right mm -hmm. then it doesn't mean that we need to go to all those options that are available uh, but that, that's a luxury to to have options in the table so let's go to the last segment uh, of the show uh, where we kind of do a ping pong of questions and answers if you'd have the opportunity to meet Matthias or Matt uh, in 2013 for, for a coffee, what advice would you offer to your younger self? Probably think more and do less. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I think um, so with, with the techie background that I have, uh, it's kind of a standard approach of a techie. Um, let's build this, right? Um, okay, you immediately, you immediately start coding um, before really thinking what you want to code. Um, and then you're like amazed of your ingenuity that you built something great. And uh, at the end, uh, a year later, you are wondering who built that crap? Um, oh, it was me. Um, so I think things could have gone much faster and much more efficient. Um, if we would have spent a little bit more time about thinking and validating and um, yeah, then start building with a proper plan. And that's kind of counterintuitive for if you think from a startup perspective, it's all about yeah, agility and quickly right. going uh, forward. But, and on the other hand, of course, well, if I look back then, um, May, might also not have been bad because otherwise I wouldn't probably have made all the learnings that I did. Um, so exactly. um, the, the, all the mistakes, if you avoid all the mistakes, you think like um, everything is always going great. So um, yeah, but uh, in general, thinking a little bit more and not immediately jumping onto it and try to solve it um, uh, is certainly something uh, that I've learned over the years that doesn't hurt. <laughs> <laughs> and what are you the most proud of on your journey so far? I would say our team. Um, the, the team that we have built, the way we have built it, also the team culture that we have built. Um, I, well, there's, there's this, this quote, I forgot who, who said it, like culture eats strategy for breakfast. Uh, you probably have heard that one before. And yeah. um, I, I heard that the first time a couple of years ago at a... At a um, yeah, seminar in Stanford, and um, it's kind of struck me like, um, well, it doesn't really matter what you plan and what kind of strategy you have if you don't have the the right people on the yeah. bus that help you to implement that strategy and who also go along with with that idea and that you convince and the culture around that that enables the strategy. 
then the strategy is basically worthless. And um, I like, well, we as a company, we have been remote first since inception 10 years ago. So uh, long before everybody did it, we were basically trendsetters here. Um, uh, and <laughs> and uh, that kind of shaped also how we work. So we have for ourselves values that are not just written on the wall and nobody reads them, um, but right. actually values that we try to live every day. And they are somehow also enabling us to work like that in a, a remote first culture. So, and one of those values is trust, um, trusting people um, right. that they do the right thing at the right time. And I don't care when somebody goes on vacation, if uh, the person works uh, eight hours or not uh, a day, um, doesn't really matter. I trust the person to right. um, deliver the desired outcome and make that possible so that it works for the company, for the team, and for the individual. Um, so, and yeah, that builds some kind of culture that people feel empowered, that people um, feel the purpose yeah. of what we are trying to accomplish. And that helps us eventually to accomplish these things. So it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy at the end. Absolutely. Love that point, really. Uh... A great team is able to find an opportunity in in a bad uh, category. Uh, a bad team uh, might succeed in a bad category, but uh, if it is in a wrong <laughs> in a wrong category, uh, it will be a disaster, right? <laughs> true, true. Good point. So, worst advice ever received. <laughs> worst advice ever received. I don't know. Sometimes entrepreneurs have this obsession about something that has been said, you will not be able to do that or you will not be able to build a company or uh, so, some of those uh, bad energies mm -hmm. that becomes positive energy to, to keep going. And, and sometimes we also have other entrepreneurs that would say, yes, I, I, I don't take it serious. So it's great for me. I don't have any idea about the worst advice I've ever received. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I really... I really don't uh, uh, reevaluate advice that I, I gotten a while back. I, I would rather say, well, any advice, even good or bad, is eventually good because you learn something from it usually. So if you realize at a point that the advice was bad, then uh, at least, you know, first of all, don't take advice from that person anymore. And second of all, um, yeah, okay. We learned something new uh, that we shouldn't do in the future anymore. Don't listen to these things. So, um, right. yeah, I, to be honest, I nothing com comes to mind right now. I don't know. That's in the, the prep, did I say something to that? <laughs> I don't recall, to be honest. I don't recall as well. I think that we didn't go through each of them. But let's go to the resources. Uh, favorite book, business or non-business? This is much more to get to know you and have fun now. Hmm. Favorite. We were book. having fun before as well. By the way, <laughs> I, I had so I like quite a lot lot the book Radical Focus, um, uh, which is a yeah a kind of a lightweight novel around uh, OKRs, and that brought me to this whole objective and key result topic, which uh, well everybody talks about probably, and a lot loads yeah. of tool vendors out there to do that 
Um, although I disagree with um, how OKRs are working and we adapted this model uh, for us. So it took us a while, a couple of years to get it to a state that it works for us to focus yeah. in a period of time and get the entire company aligned to deliver an outcome. And I think this was a, a major um, yeah, turning point in the company also for us. Um, maybe to look back at the, uh, a long time ago, we had more than also one product. And the problem with having being a small company and having more yeah. products is that's really hard to get everyone to work towards the same goal because Pretty one our marketing product one the salespeople are currently seeing traction product two developers yep. have planned their roadmap for product three and you always have a lack of resources in every single area and um, then you're not moving forward anywhere and you always are juggling around and reallocating priorities and so on and learning around yeah, strategizing and focusing and getting everyone aligned. And I see this whole OKR part less valuable in regards of setting the actual objectives and reaching them, but rather sitting together with your team, reflecting on the last, last iteration, the last term. What did we plan? Why did it not right. turn out as we planned? If with the knowledge that we have today, what we should have we what should we have done differently, and what do we learn from that now for the next term and make the new plan, and then getting everyone aligned. And I think this is um, what I learned also with that book, Radical Focus, um, yeah. which kind of explains this kind of uh, OKR model in, a, in an entertaining way. So I think probably everyone in the company got that book from me once or. Uh, when they joined us. Um, I'm not doing that anymore because we are shifting away from OKR in that sense, but um, yeah. I, I still like the book. I, I love the way you, you said it. I think that's a very important tool to learn as quickly as possible as I help uh, leadership teams to, to implement OKRs as part of my scale-up uh, framework. And it provides that, uh, that clarity of vision and helps everyone align and discuss. And I think that the meeting cadence and and those conclusions that you were talking about is is the is the advantage and also approving each other OKRs so having Martin approving sales OKRs and product OKRs and checking the dependencies and having a session all together where each of them approve the other peers OKRs and ensure that everyone is aligned on the same direction I think that that's the point that we miss a lot and it takes some time because first people need to understand how to set up OKRs at the company layer and the layer two and only then they can start checking dependencies and alignment uh, with each other so and i see a year a lot of pain especially in the first year of implementation of of okrs mm. and also over complicating too too early i think that you said yeah. it correctly we need to adapt the the tools to ourselves instead of being super rigid about implementing the tools if not we'll be slaves of of the tools right True, true, yeah. When we started first, we immediately got a tool. Well, Techie B thought, okay, tool helps, <laughs> right? So we got a tool, was an absolute overkill, frustrated okay. the hell out of the people. Yeah. Um, uh, and I always started with a spreadsheet, that's why. Yeah, and, <laughs> and, and then we learned, and then we basically only had company OKRs. 
Yeah. And then we learned from the company OKRs that not everyone could relate to those. So and now we are back to, okay, with departmental OKRs also that align to the um, company OKRs. And yeah, well, I think it's a journey. Um, I would say OKRs is definitely not the solution for everything. Um, but what I like about it and the way we adapted, so it's not called OKRs for us anymore. It's now goals, KPIs, and initiatives. Um, but um, uh, and the initiatives are basically more or less tasks or to-dos. And it's like top three initiatives that, uh, that yeah. contribute to a KPI or a KR that contributes to um, the objective, which is a goal for us. So it's just different wording eventually. Um, yeah. But an initiative is something where people can relate much more to, where they see they can contribute right. to. And I think this is uh, something that we have learned and that helped a lot. Love it. And we are uh, coming to the end. We will let the favorite movie and series and the favorite podcast for uh, a new episode for you to share the next chapters of your journey. Matthias, it has been a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks so much for, for making the time. Thank you very much, Mike. It was a pleasure for me too. And to bye our bye. community, thanks for being there. And we keep bringing you the best of the best to make your life a little bit easier as you scale up your business. See you soon and keep scaling.